0: Hey everyone, it's your friendly Forever 35 co-host, Kate Spencer here, bringing you something a little different today. This is in addition to all the episodes we are releasing this week. I am here to share the first chapter of my new book, in a New York Minute. Uh, it comes out today, March 15th, and you all have been so incredibly supportive of me throughout this book writing and book releasing process. I'm so grateful to the Forever 35 listener community. And so I'm so excited to be able to get to share the full first chapter of of the audiobook. It is narrated by two incredible voice actors, and you can find it anywhere you listen to audiobooks like Libro FM, Audible, or again, anywhere you might get an audiobook in a New York Minute will be there. Um, you can also, of course, order the actual book anywhere you buy books. And I really appreciate you checking out your independent bookstores, or of course, your libraries. Anyway, Thank you all so much for your support, and I really hope you enjoy the first chapter of In a New York Minute.
1: No one plans on getting laid off when they wake up in the morning. No one sips their first drop of coffee and thinks, Today's the day. 15 minutes into checking my morning email and drafting a reply to that pain-in-the-ass client, Melinda that I'll get a notification in Slack telling me to head down to the main conference room for an important chat. No one imagines that the super successful interior design startup they work for, you know, the one that had a massive hiring blitz four years ago, keeps fridges full of organic cold-pressed juices, has beanbag chairs in all the conference rooms, and hosts weekly rooftop happy hours, will lay off half their staff in a matter of 45 minutes. No one dares to consider that the venture capitalist money that had poured in, so much endless cash, that it had installed an overblown sense of possibility and security and allowed the 26-year-old founder to increase staff from 27 to 74 people over just the last year, and by a cherry red Maserati along the way, would be mismanaged by the team at the top and totally gone, just like that. At least, I didn't. In fact, it seemed impossible that the same people who once had excitedly told me about their standard four weeks of vacation for all employees, even entry-level ones, would be one day sitting across from me on multicolored mid-century modern chairs, not ones I'd ever choose for a client, if I'm being honest, with giant cups of Starbucks in front of them, uttering these words, "'We're so sorry, Franny.' We've really valued everything you've contributed to space, but we need to consolidate the digital and design team. Even marketing is taking a big cut. This is just part of working in the startup space. You know how it is. We grew too quickly, and now we need to scale back. I should have known that when you're working for a company that promises to disrupt things, they might just mean your life. The promotion that I'd been assured was right around the corner for over a year never came. Instead, I'd been unceremoniously sacked, all before ten in the morning. It felt like I'd just been dumped by someone I thought was about to get down on one knee and propose. I walked back in a daze to the massive bright white work table I shared with six other junior designers, tears stinging the corners of my eyes. Tightness spread across my chest, panic settling into my body. My brain was suddenly a running list of numbers and bullet points, ticking across a screen in my head. Student loans, phone bill, food. Those custom checkered vans I had forked over $100 for while doing some late night online retail therapy last week. Rent. My apartment was affordable by New York City standards. But on my salary... It was still a stretch, an expense I justified because I loved the space so much. Tiny, yes, and occasionally visited by a cockroach or two, but it was all mine. And of course, I had big plans to knock down some of my credit card debt and pay off that trip I took to Miami three years ago, where I ordered a $300 bottle of wine by accident at dinner and was too embarrassed to tell the waiter I'd made a mistake. I'd put all my hopes and dreams for the year on the vision board I'd made alongside my two best friends, Cleo and Lola, and a mound of bagels from Russ and Daughters on a Sunday morning in early January. A promotion at work, financial freedom, a vintage black Chanel purse made of soft buttery leather with a gold chain strap. Losing my job had definitely not been on there. And I still didn't have that Chanel bag. I guess at least now I could definitively say vision boards were 100% BS. Doug, the head of IT, circled our communal desk with an awkward look on his face, logging us out of our computers with a few quick taps. Melinda was never going to get a reply from me about the bright red velvet couch I'd sourced for her Austin living room. The fact that she'd be sitting there, irritated and awaiting my reply? was the only bright spot in this otherwise garbage day a stack of cardboard boxes was now in the center of the office strewn atop the bright pink couches that served as our design team's morning meeting gathering space ramona my quiet introverted and brilliant coworker, who created life-size paper mache sculptures at her art space in queens on the weekends stood across from me sniffling as she placed a few items from her desk into a box Ramona, I said as I caught her eye. I'm so sorry. She wiped her eyes on the back of her sleeve and gave me a weepy smile. I haven't told anyone here yet, but I'm pregnant. My mouth fell open. Oh, God. She nodded. And Chris? She got choked up again as she said her partner's name. He just quit his job so he could do culinary school full-time. We're so screwed. My stomach flipped with that about-to-puke feeling at the thought of how they were going to afford everything they needed for a baby. It's so messed up, I said. My student loan bills are already a nightmare. I don't know how I'm going to pay them down now. Conversations around us were muted and whispered, but the panic was tangible. Most of the office was under 30, and almost half of us were now out of work, sent into the wilds of the New York City job market with whatever severance we'd been given. I'd spent four years plugging away at a job that maybe hadn't always stimulated me creatively, but it had paid well, and my coworkers were fun and easy to be around for nine hours a day. And now, like me, they were reduced to shoving what was left of their time at space into a 16-inch cardboard box. A cube-shaped crystal award for best digital design startup. A small green turtle figurine my co-worker Rafael had brought me back from Mexico. The framed photo of Keanu Reeves someone had left on my desk as an April Fool's joke. The branded stainless steel water bottle everyone at the company had gotten last Earth Day. The last four years of my life packed up in 10 minutes, ready to be lugged home on the subway. With my vintage bejeweled purse on one shoulder and my canvas space tote bag still packed with my lunch of pasta leftovers on the other, I grabbed my box, mumbled some hushed goodbyes, and headed to the elevator, pressing the neon blue call button with my knee. We were in the middle of a heat wave in New York City one of those bizarro stretches where it goes from 60 to 90 degrees in the middle of May. At 7.30 in the morning, just hours earlier, a billowy blue-green tank-sleeved silk dress, my best friend Cleo called it my fancy sack, paired with my black high-top chucks had seemed like a perfectly reasonable outfit choice. But huffing the three blocks through Times Square while weighted down with all this crap turned me into a sweating tangle of bags and clothes, armpits damp and sweat beads clinging to my curls. And a blister was rubbing itself into existence on my right heel. After what felt like an hour of digging around, I found my metro card and gave it a swipe through the large metal turnstile at the station. By the time I'd made it down a flight of stairs and maneuvered around the late morning wall of humans still rushing to work, I was a seething, irritated mess. I walked toward the downtown 2 3 train, only to be greeted with a sign by the stairs that declared No downtown trains at this station due to construction. Everything that could possibly go wrong today was happening. I shifted directions, grumbling curse words under my breath, and headed toward the Q train. This would at least get me to Brooklyn, and then I could loop back on the 2-3 from Atlantic, which would suck. God I just wanted to get home as I tried to catch my breath I inhaled the pungent stink of the subway that was set free the second warm air descended upon our fair but smelly city oh my god I muttered holding in a gag and then I heard it the squeal of brakes a sure sign that my train was arriving at the platform which was down yet another flight of stairs in front of me I dared to breathe through my nose, ugh, everything smelled like urine, and took off jogging, the tchotchkes in my box bouncing with every step. I hit the stairs and caught a glimpse of the silver glint of a subway car. It was still in the station. Ding, ding, the subway doors announced. Any New Yorker knew what that sound meant. It was time to run. No, 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 I shouted and sprinted onto the platform just as the doors were, mercifully, opening a second time. The train was a blur, but I could see through the scratched-up windows that it was packed, bodies next to bodies next to bodies. An entire barricade of humans stood just inside the doors. Excuse me, I huffed, wedging myself next to an older woman with a wire grocery cart who shuffled forward into the center of the car, and a giant of a man who was long and lean and all suit. Sorry, thank you, I said, angling myself sideways to squeeze on. There was no way to shrink myself with this stupid box in my arms. But still, I was inside with inches to spare. And I was finally heading home to escape this god-awful shit show of a morning. As the train lurched forward, I sighed with relief and leaned my back against the doors of the car. Wrapping my right arm around the edge of the box, I reached my left arm for my purse, hoping to grab my phone so I could text Cleo and Lola with my news. Just as my fingers grazed the hard plastic of my phone case, I felt a firm tug behind me. What the hell? I muttered, trying to shift again, but I couldn't move. It was like something had pinned me to the doors of the train, securing me in place. I stepped forward, inadvertently leaning my weight against a pregnant woman who was holding onto a handrail for balance. Why didn't anyone offer her a seat? I thought, as I apologized for bumping into her. My brain was skipping around between worrying about her to wondering why I couldn't move, and then, suddenly, my ears connected with something else the sound of my dress ripping down the back. My heart rate picked up, beating its own chant of, oh my God, oh my God. My dress, the gorgeous locally made in Brooklyn cost a small fortune soft silk dress that I'd splurged on at altar in Williamsburg, had gotten stuck in the subway doors and ripped straight down the seam from the back of my neck, right past my butt. My fancy sack was now a fancy mess. Oh my God, I said out loud. New Yorkers are well-practiced in the art of not staring, but dare to step into their personal space and their eyes turn into lasers that can incinerate upon contact. Unfortunately, no one's personal space was safe around me as I frantically tried to grab the back of my dress with my free hand and hold it shut. At first, my elbow smacked into someone's arm, and I was met with a Jesus Christ from the skateboarder who'd been on the receiving end. Sorry. I stepped forward to recalibrate and squashed someone's foot underneath mine. Excuse me, hissed a woman in fancy athleisure wear as she recoiled. Sorry. I squeaked again. God, my arms ached. I shifted the box onto my left side and shimmied as far as I could against the door, hoping I could buy myself some time before the next stop. But as I grabbed the material by my butt and held it shut, the dress started to slip off my shoulders. Is it possible to laugh and cry at the exact same time? Because just as tears pricked along the edges of my eyes, hot and huge, I let out a guffaw. This day! You okay? The pregnant woman asked, a look of genuine concern on her face. My dress. I gestured toward my back. As I did, the right shoulder strap slipped off my body completely. Oh no, she said, horrified. I know, I replied, the panic evident in the high octave of my voice. I'm having a massively shitty day and in a few minutes I'm going to be mooning the station when the doors open. All it took was one blink before the tears began dripping down my face. Everything awful that had just happened to me was spilling out in the most public place possible. Before I could stop her, the pregnant woman shouted into the crowd of commuters, Does anyone have any safety pins? Her voice was loud enough to startle almost every person nearby. Safety pins. Anyone? A few people looked up and then looked back down at their phones. A girl in an NYU hoodie, her hair in a giant top knot on her head, glanced over and offered me a sympathetic smile. The older woman began to dig into her massive purse. It's fine, I'm fine. I tried to assure her, even though I was obviously not. I pressed myself against the door as we chugged toward the next station. Here, honey. The older woman waved and the pregnant woman reached out her hand. It's not a safety pin, but it might help. When the pregnant woman stepped back toward me, she opened her palm and revealed a small hair clip. Do you want me to try to close it up with this? She asked me, a skeptical look on her face. But before I could tell her no, a deep, calm voice shot through the din of the subway. Here. It was the giant suit standing next to me, except. Now, he was just crisp white shirt and soft blue tie, his shoulders hitting right at my eyeline. His navy jacket was dangling neatly from his hand. Here, he said again, clearly perplexed by my inability to understand exactly what he wanted me to do with his coat. I looked up to meet his eyes. Even in my... Holy shit, my dress has ripped open straight down the back, and I'm in the one thong I own and never wear because thongs are miserably uncomfortable. But I bailed on doing laundry last night, so here I am. And to top it all off, I just got let go from my job, and I still have at least five more years of student loans to pay. State, I could register that he was handsome. The kind of good-looking stranger that causes you to think, whoa, when you pass them on the street. I knew just by the confident, assured way he held himself, shoulders back, chin just slightly tilted to the sky, and by the cut slopes of his jaw and his thick brown hair, that this was a man who had never known an awkward phase. While the rest of us were running around seventh grade with oozing zits and blinding metal braces, I had to sleep in headgear for God's sake. He breezed through with ease, all long muscles and creamy, clear skin and enviable cheekbones and dark lashes from the day he was born. And then there were his eyes, stern and serious, but also big and beautiful. At first glance, they looked brown, but with a second look, I realized they were so inky and dark that they came closer to matching the navy of his suit. He had the body of a runner or a cyclist, or... It clicked then. A triathlete. I could see him in one of those skimpy running suits now, muscle pulsing against spandex, not caring that everyone in the world could see every angle and curve of his perfectly sculpted body. Please? His voice was caught between concerned and annoyed, and the slight wrinkle between his brow underscored his tone. Take it. He even had good eyebrows, the kind that somehow looked well-groomed, even though he was surely too cool to wax them. What? I said, my voice shaky. You want me to take your jacket? He nodded and offered a small smile. Yes. And then he blinked, holding his eyes closed an extra beat, showing off those lashes, the kind women revered with both jealousy and awe. I have five more of these at home. He said this firmly, like it should be obvious. It would be of much more help to you. Five more? If I wasn't half naked on the subway living through my worst nightmare, I'd make some crack about selling his fancy suits to pay my rent. But instead, I pursed my lips together, which I'd painted in my bright red all-day lip stain just hours earlier. It was an attempt to push down the tightness in my throat, It was no use. The misery of this morning was rushing out of me in heavy sobs. That's really nice of you. Thank you, I sniffed, my nose stuffy now. Good Lord, why does snot need to be a part of crying? I already looked like a newborn sloth when I cried, and the dripping nose only made things worse. But I can't take it. Your suit jacket, how would I even get it back to you my breathing was choppy and the words came out in gasps before he could reply the train lurched forward and i stumbled a step my left arm instinctively shooting out to stop myself from falling i reached for a pole to grab onto but there was nothing there and instead i face planted into him my left cheek smushed against his chest which was warm and solid My arm that had searched for the pole slid along his side instead and I wrapped it around his back just to have something to hold on to, my fingers gripping his shirt like a steering wheel. The jolt sent my dress flapping behind me. He took a step forward to balance himself and his hand landed on my butt where my dress hung open, his fingers firm on my skin. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I heard him say from somewhere, something about the soft press of his palm. Hot and brief on my bare skin, was both electric and comforting, all at once. We stood like this for what felt like minutes two strangers awkwardly embracing, my cheeks still flush against his chest, so close that if I actually stopped to listen, I could probably hear his heartbeat. It's okay, I babbled into the cool relief of his shirt. He pulled his hand off me and steadied it on the roof of the subway car. Excuse me, he said, taking a small step back, holding his hand out like it had just been burned. That was an accident. My apologies. Then he glanced down, first at me, and then at his shirt, where I'd left two wet blotches where my eyes had been. And right below it, oh God, was a trace of snot. Suddenly, getting laid off didn't seem like the worst thing to happen to me today. I backed away from him, and the pregnant woman gave me a sympathetic look as I accidentally bumped into her, again. I would take it, she said as I muttered another apology. Unless you want, she gestured to the clip in her hand. The conductor's voice crackled over the loudspeaker as the train rolled to a slow stop in the tunnel. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just holding here as we wait for a train to leave the station ahead of us. Okay. Yeah. I nodded at the stranger on the subway. Thank you so much. He held up the jacket in front of me by the collar, like the men did for their dates in the black and white movies that my grandma and I used to watch. Gingerly, he draped it over my shoulders, tugging it ever so slightly so it hung snug over my body, his cheek coming dangerously close to brushing against the top of my head. I breathed a sigh of relief that I was no longer showing my ass to the entire city. As I did, I caught a whiff of his scent lingering on the collar. Apparently, this man's neck smelled like an afternoon spent with old books stacked on wooden shelves as icy rain cracked against the window with hints of spicy pine and a fireplace that roared with hot flames and flickering coals. It was heady and decadent steady and dark. Someone handed me a tissue and I blew my nose into it until it was too damp to use. I just got laid off. I blubbered. And now this. I gestured with my head as if I could somehow point to my dress with my forehead. It's really been a bad morning. He offered me a small smile and a nod, but said nothing. I tucked the tissue into the pocket of his coat and noticed a small grimace ripple across his face. I'll get it dry cleaned and back to you as soon as I can. He shook his head. I swear I'm good. Besides, I think you need it more than me. I nodded. He wasn't wrong. I did not want to ride the subway all the way to Brooklyn and then make the 12 minute walk back to my apartment with my dress ripped open down the back. I really appreciate it, I said, and I could feel the sobs hovering at the back of my throat, ready at any moment to make another appearance. I gritted my teeth and took a breath, calming myself, raining the tears back in. This is worse than the time I peed myself from laughing too hard outside Cherry Tavern and had to buy a sweatshirt on St. Mark's to wrap around my waist and wear home. I'm sorry, what? He looked genuinely confused. You peed yourself? It was a bad habit, a tick I did when other people just bit their nails or twirled their hair. I tried to change direction with humor. It's nothing. Anyway, I'm really grateful. You quite literally saved my ass. But he didn't laugh. He barely cracked a smile. Instead, his brow tightened in response, his cheeks pinkish and bright. His mouth was a straight line, and as he glanced away, I noticed the hint of his tongue running across his bottom lip. God, I wished Cleo and Lola were here to witness this. Laid off, humiliated in front of an entire subway car, butt cheeks bared to the world, topped off with a hot guy coming to my rescue, a hot guy who was clearly not impressed by my ability to rip an entire article of clothing in half without even using my hands. One day, this would make an amazing story, retold through swells of laughter over pitchers of beer. The kind of tale that earned a declaration of, this is going in my wedding toast for you, which was the highest praise we awarded the mortifying moments we shared together. I'd literally lost both my job and the clothes off my back, and my dignity was not far behind. Thinking of my friends calmed me, and my breathing steadied a bit. Inhale. Exhale. The train lurched forward again and roared into the Canal Street station in the heart of downtown Manhattan. I stayed focused on Cleo and Lola and imagined what we would all nickname this guy when I told them the story. Hot suit. He was definitely a hot suit. Maybe not my best work, certainly not very original, but it was to the point and easy to remember. He was hot and he wore a suit. Done and done. I glanced back toward him the man formerly known as stranger on the subway as he bent to pick up a leather briefcase that he'd planted between his feet it was smooth polished brown leather but still looked vintage well loved even i'd never met anyone under the age of 60 who carried a freaking briefcase but then again i didn't mix much with men who wore suits to work either when the train rolled to a stop and the doors opened Hot Suit offered me a polite nod. Well, good luck, he said. With everything. I was so dazed by the whole experience that it took me a beat to realize he was getting off. Hey! I shouted out the door as he stepped onto the platform. He angled his head back toward me and our eyes met again. Thank you! Seriously, I owe you one! He shook his head and gave me a slight wave of his hand. A curt goodbye from a stranger who had just swooped in and saved me, my butt included, without even blinking an eye. I'm sorry about crying all over your shirt. I yelled again, but he didn't turn around. And then, hot suit was gone, swallowed by the crowd pushing off the train. Back in the safety of my tiny apartment in Brooklyn, I dumped the box onto my sliver of kitchen counter and dropped my bags to the ground before shrugging Hotsuit's jacket off my shoulders. I held it in front of me, examining it skeptically. I hadn't found anything in the pockets besides my crumpled tissue. Yes, I would checked on my walk home, and it looked and felt either brand new or impeccably cared for. My finger brushed against the edge of a tag stitched along the collar. Gucci? Wow, this was now officially the nicest piece of clothing I owned. Hanging it on a hook inside my closet, I let my ruined dress slide off my body and then collapsed onto my bed in a heap. I was achingly exhausted. Having the worst day of my life, I texted my friends. Please send bagels. Lola responded immediately. BRB meeting will text ASAP. I knew this meant I might not hear from her for hours. When your job is breaking celebrity news on the internet, reporting about the latest divorce or scandal usually comes before texting your friends back. But Lola was loyal, even if she couldn't always respond right away. She never failed to show up when it counted. A minute later, my phone rang. I hit the green button and Cleo's face popped up, slightly obscured by a giant coffee raised to her lips. You okay? she asked before taking a swig. You are never going to believe what happened to me this morning, I said, skipping a greeting to get right to the point. Space laid me off. Oh shit, Fran, that's terrible. Her eyes widened behind her vintage tortoiseshell cat's eye glasses that I'd helped her pick out at fabulous fannies in the East Village just a few weeks ago. I thought you were about to get promoted. Yeah. So did I, but listen, that's not the worst of it. On my way home, my dress ripped wide open on the subway. Half of Manhattan saw my butt. What? Cleo grimaced, nose wrinkled in horror. Wait, hold on, I'm almost in my office. I watched the angles on my screen change as she balanced the phone on her coffee cup to shut the door behind her. There, she said, her face coming back into view. Now everyone won't hear about your butt. Cleo tucked a strand of her stick-straight black hair behind her ear, which only made her angled bob look more chic. She was a lawyer at the Legal Aid Society and also worked as an adjunct professor at Fordham. Lola and I liked to tease her that her students were obviously all infatuated with her. But she always brushed us off with a pointed glare. That didn't stop Lola from serenading Cleo with Hot for Teacher at our late night karaoke session at Winnie's a couple of months ago. Don't kill me, she said, pushing her glasses up her nose. But I have like five minutes before I need to get back to teaching this seminar, so give me the quick version and I'll be over as soon as I can. I raced through the tail of my train ride, the box of stupid work mementos, the pregnant lady with no seat, my sweaty armpits, And of course, him. Wow, said Cleo. You know how I feel about the whole stupid idea of chivalry. I did indeed know how she felt about it. And I'm sure you would have been just fine without his help, she continued. I nodded in agreement. But she added, something about this is very hot. I mean, who even looks up from their phone on the subway? Much less comes to someone's rescue. And get this, I added. It's freaking Gucci. Cleo whistled through her teeth. Good lord, she said, drawing out the words for effect. I know. Maybe the jacket is a bad talisman and he's using me to get rid of it, I joked, dragging my comforter up and over my body. Well, whatever it is, you can sell it on Poshmark for a small fortune. I'm going to have to when my severance runs out. I only got eight weeks. We'll figure out a plan. I could hear Cleo's brain working through the phone line. And hey, Fran, maybe it's for the best. I mean, you've been so sick of working there for a long time. Yeah, I said. But what does it say about me that I got laid off? Maybe this whole time I've been terrible at my job and I had no idea. Franny, layoffs happen. You decorated my whole apartment, so. I have actual proof that you're fantastic at your job. You have to say that, I said. All I did was find you better throw pillows. Anyone can do that. I was joking, sure. But there was a familiar, insecure voice in my head that wondered if maybe that was the truth. And besides, I continued, I liked the paycheck, the stability, the free snacks, the paycheck. I know, she said. And I'm not saying everything happens for a reason. You totally are. I cut her off. Cleo had the brain of a lawyer, but the heart of someone who believed in the magic of the world around us. The stuff we couldn't see. The vision boards had been her idea. Look, all I'm saying is that maybe getting laid off is a gift. I feel like I've heard you say a million times how bored you felt not really getting to do anything hands-on at space never getting to be in the rooms you designed, putting chairs in the right spot, moving things exactly how you want them? Cleo was right. I had complained about this a lot. You know what I mean, she continued. Now you can go crazy and do things your way. Now you're just quoting Laverne and Shirley, I said. I had long ago tucked away the fantasy of a career defined on my own terms one that filled both my creative soul and my bank account. I'd made peace with the fact that work would always be just that for me, the path to survival, a means to an end. That's how it had gone for my mom and Jim, my stepdad, and they were happy enough. There was no shame in working just work and doing what you love on the side. Or at least, that's what I told myself to justify my career choice up until this point. Cleo laughed into the phone. You're going to make your dreams come true, she sang. And then, with a quick goodbye, she was gone, leaving me to remember the dreams that had pushed me to move to New York City in the first place and wonder if I had anything at all to show for them. There's an endless list of things a person can do after getting laid off punch a hole in a wall, meditate, search for jobs, get drunk. I fell asleep. I wasn't even consciously trying to do it, but somewhere in between texts and WhatsApp chats with my fellow spurned former coworkers, I zonked out. Two hours later, it was my phone that woke me. The ding, ding, dinging of my text alerts, jolting me from sleep. I flicked on my phone. I had 13 new texts from Lola. Her most recent, Fran, are you okay? I'm here, let me in. I grabbed my faded bathrobe off its hook, and raced toward the door. Hey, I said, out of breath as I swung the door open. I'm so sorry, I totally passed out. Lola, in all her bleached, blonde, smudged eyeliner glory, shoved a giant brown paper bag into my arms. It was still warm to the touch. I brought bagels, she said, her voice serious. That was our Lola. She brought the bagels every time. I'm so sorry you've had such a terrible day, she said as she kicked off her black ankle boots and closed the door behind her. I know, laid off. I placed the bagels on my stove, my counter space still occupied by my box of work mementos. I mean, yes, that's awful, but your dress and the guy on the subway, she said, pulling me in for a hug. Did Cleo tell you? I asked, letting her squeeze me tight He was like movie star hot, and I basically blew my nose on his shirt. I'm not good at first impressions. Cleo. Lola pulled away from me and held me at arm's length. I haven't talked to her. She's still teaching that stupid environmental law seminar that lasts all freaking day. Oh, sorry. I guess I forgot I told you about the subway nightmare. Franny. She eyed me with a peculiar examining look. Did you not read all my texts? My brain buzzed as I tried to remember. I don't know why. She rolled her eyes, clearly annoyed that I'd missed her messages. Okay, so at work today, we've been tracking this Instagram story that's going micro-viral. She said, being the deputy editor of the pop culture-focused website Looking Glass, meant that she was always tracking things—who unfollowed whom on social media. Who favorited which photos, which TikTok stars might be hooking up and looking into rumors and gossip sent anonymously to her DMs and email. And I think it's you. What do you mean you think it's me? I asked, my voice taking on a slightly panicked pitch. I mean, I know it's you. You've got that crazy vintage bag, the one with the rhinestone flowers all over it. Your space bag, too. Also, I know your beautiful face anywhere. Your butt, too. She smiled, trying to lighten the mood. It didn't work. Photos? I was 100% screeching. I was no longer a human. I was now a very loud bird inside a human's body. It's you and this insanely hot guy with a blue tie who looks like he's leaning in to give your ass a squeeze, smelling your hair, she said. And you're, like, full-on embracing him. It's PG-rated, but very hot. Someone posted the whole thing with photos and made it into GIFs, too, which I have to admit is genius. My face froze in a horrified, mouth-open look. She continued, You guys are flirting. Your hands are all over him, rubbing his chest. And then he leans in for a hug or maybe a kiss? I couldn't quite tell. Did he kiss you? What? I shrieked racing to my bed to grab my phone. The train stopped short and I fell into him, and he lost his balance. We definitely did not kiss low or rub or hug and rub. Why would I do any of that with a stranger I literally just met on the subway? My voice was a growl now. I'd morphed from bird to cougar in an instant. Lola raised her brows at me, biting her bottom lip. I don't know. For fun? I turned and waved both my middle fingers in her face. Oh, Fran, I'm just teasing. Of course I believe you. Lola sat down next to me on the edge of my bed. But I also spent like ten minutes staring at photos of someone who looks exactly like you, crying in a hot dude's arms as he wrapped his coat around your shoulders. My stomach didn't flip anymore. It dropped dead. I pounded at my phone, my fingers too slow to keep up with what my brain wanted them to do. I found her texts gently telling me I was possibly about to become an internet sensation with the screenshots to prove it. Holy shit. I tossed the phone next to me. Then I stood up almost immediately. I sat back down. I had no idea what to do with my body other than run to the bathroom and throw up. Some girl posted it all on her Instagram stories, she said. I want to see it, I demanded. Lola pursed her lips and, with a reluctant sigh, picked up my phone, unlocked the home screen, and started typing away. How do you know my password? I asked. You told it to me once in college when you were drunk and wanted me to order you a pizza, she said, like it was the most obvious reason in the world. You should probably change it at least once a decade. When she passed my phone back to me, my hands were shaking because there I was on my own phone screen in an Instagram highlight titled Subway Cuties. I said the words slowly out loud. That's what they're calling you, she said matter of factly. Subway Cuties. What? I was back to being loud and squeaky. Cuties, like cuties, and because you're on the Q train she explained in an overly kind voice. It's a pun. Lola, I get the freaking pun, I snapped. I just, that's not what happened. I ripped my dress, and this guy on the train insisted I take his suit jacket, which, I'll have you know, turns out to be Gucci, and he was like weirdly nonchalant about the whole thing, and I didn't get his name, and he doesn't want it back, so now I'm just stuck with it. Ooh. Ooh, well, that makes much more sense, Lola said with a smirk. She was enjoying herself. Your sarcasm is not helping. I looked back down at my phone and clicked on the story. Someone who'd been near us on the subway had, oh my God, snapped a whole series of back-to-back photos of me on the train, sweaty and blotchy with tears, clearly freaking out. OMG, this poor woman just got her dress stuck in the door of the Q train. She had written over a blurry photo of me, mouth agape, with a line of crying face and shocked face emojis under it. I scrolled forward. Always look for the helpers, was typed on a photo of the pregnant woman leaning toward me, offering the hair clip. A gif of Mr. Rogers waved in the upper right-hand corner. Jesus, this was embarrassing. Super hot guy now saving the day is what she captioned a picture of him leaning over me with his jacket in hand. In another, I'm smiling up at him through my tears. I don't remember smiling. And it actually looks like we're having an intimate conversation. Holy shit, this is not what happened. I gave Lola a panicked look, and she instinctively put her arm around my back. Like, at all. I mean, kind of, but... I just want to reiterate that I did not mean to touch Hot Suit. I fell into him because the train moved, and he gave me his coat because my dress ripped, which honestly was a lifesaver. Hot Suit, Lola repeated with a laugh. I crossed my arms in a huff. He needed a nickname, I explained. Okay, she tilted her head in exaggerated thought. It's kind of literal for my tastes, but I'll give you a B for effort. I leapt up and paced the length of my bed, which wasn't much bigger than my entire room. In New York terms, my place qualified as a junior one-bedroom, a glorified way of saying it was a studio that came with a corner nook where you could shove a full-size bed, a queen, if you were lucky. I'd managed to get a queen in there, plus a bedside table next to it. Making furniture work in tiny spaces was my superpower. Whose Instagram is it? Some girl who goes to NYU, but it's getting shared everywhere. And I mean, the stories will disappear, but she added them to her highlights, and she also put a picture of you 2 in her grid, which surprised me if I'm being honest. I mean, the grid is like a sacred space. She shook her head, her digital media dork brain coming into focus. I truly don't get how this generation uses social media, she said disapprovingly as if she were an aging grandmother and not someone who had gotten One Direction lyrics tattooed on her back as a dare just last year. Can we contact the girl who posted it? I said, trying to come up with some plan of attack for getting the photos removed immediately. I need to get this taken down. So I already sent her a DM, but if you just search the hashtag Subway Cuties, all the posts about you come up. They're being shared. There's a hashtag, I said, my voice teetering somewhere between panicked and horrified. You're a hashtag. I mean, look, it's not a bad thing. Maybe it will help you find a new job. She was a slick saleswoman now, making her pitch. Oh, yeah, because that's what everyone looks for in their new hire, I hissed. Influencers make a ton of money, Fran. Lola's voice had a schoolteacher edge to it. You should see what contestants on The Bachelor make with their Instagram accounts alone. I ignored her lecture on social media, Money Making 101. You okay? Lola asked, but I was too stunned to answer. I clicked back through the pictures again. There was a photo of my face pressed against his chest, And even though I'd bumped into him so awkwardly in the picture, it looked like I was deliberately snuggling him, resting on him, smiling at him, enjoying him. A giant gif of a cartoon face with heart eyes blinked in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Please let this be a Subway love connection, the caption screamed in neon pink. I clicked again, and there I was with my hand on his chest, But now I was gazing up at him with wide, doe eyes. I am watching two people fall in love on the subway, and I am officially dead, she wrote. Next pic, me standing next to him with the jacket on, with a crude heart hand-drawn over both our figures. Hashtag subway cuties forever. She'd written in bold pink lettering. And finally, a photo of me calling out thank you as he got off the train. Pretty sure they exchanged numbers and are going to live happily ever after, she wrote, covering the bottom of the photo in a sea of heart emojis. And then again, the hashtag. Jesus fucking Christ. Exchanged numbers? I snotted all over the guy and he practically ran off the train to get away from me. But Lola wasn't wrong. In the pictures, it did look like we were very, very into each other. I clicked again and saw a series of screenshots of messages the NYU girl had received from people following her story. So many people love hashtag Subway Cuties, she typed triumphantly. I clicked over to the hashtag, and there were more people sharing her story, commenting about hashtag Subway Cuties with heart emojis and crying face emojis and even one eggplant emoji. I mean, sure, he was tall, but come on. When I was done, I clicked back over to the girl's account, which had been updated while I'd been searching the hashtag. The last image was now a black screen with "OMG, the NY Post just called me about Subway cuties," written in giant red text. It was timestamped three minutes ago. Ugh, the Post. Lola muttered as she peered over my shoulder. They love stuff like this. Just as she spoke my phone rang let it go to voicemail she advised her voice ominous and turn your ringer to silent crap it didn't take long for people to find me after all like everyone my age i'd been leaving an identity trail of breadcrumbs on the internet since i was 13 when i was done listening to the voicemail from a reporter at the new york post I opened up my inbox to find messages from Refinery 29, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, the Daily Mail, and Bustle. I'd been easy to identify. My Instagram and Twitter had been set to public and both listed space in my bio. Someone had discovered my LinkedIn profile and used the photo there to confirm that I was indeed most likely one half of Subway Cuties. The owner of the suit jacket was still anonymous because of course, He was probably one of those I-don't-do-social-media types. Too busy helping people around the city. A Clark Kent who couldn't be bothered to change out of his suit. Not to worry, though. Someone had figured out the exact brand and make of the jacket and had linked to it on Instagram, complete with info on where to buy it. Cleo made it over after class with two bottles of wine in hand. I changed into sweats, and we moved to my blue velvet couch to discuss how to handle my newfound fame as we talked buzzfeed published subway cuties is the love story we didn't know we needed but now can't live without i locked my instagram account deleted my already dead twitter page and deactivated facebook we opened the second bottle of wine i swear this will all be over soon lola said reassuringly from the floor where she sat on the giant gold throw pillows that doubled as chairs in my tiny space No one will remember this in a week. She was using one of my hardcover books of Italian Renaissance art as a tray for a plate of crackers and cheese. My head was in Cleo's lap and she stroked my hair gently, raking her fingers along my scalp as if she could massage my infamy away. It's just so embarrassing, I moaned, shifting onto my back and pressing the heel of my palm against my forehead. Which part? Cleo asked. Um, all of it? I said rhetorically, as if it should be obvious. But I mean, what's really upsetting you? She pushed, shifting into lawyer mode. Is it being fired, the fact that your ass was on full display? Or slow dancing with hot suit? Losing my job, of course, I replied honestly. I was out of work, and I basically lived paycheck to paycheck. I was screwed. I know it's just a job, but it felt like such a big part of my identity, of who I am. And you know I already struggle with that stuff. Over the years, Cleo and Lola had listened as I worked through the challenges of not knowing much about my birth father. He was a vague entity, a tense subject with my mom, captured in one photograph I kept in the drawer of my bedside table. For my whole life, half of me had always felt like it existed in the shadows. And also, I started, and I saw Cleo raise a brow in Lola's direction. Yes, hot suit. It's never fun to be completely humiliated in front of someone, much less a person you'd ogle at in a normal situation. And I told him about that time I peed myself outside Cherry Tavern. Cleo winced. She'd been there to see that happen in real time. I mean, you all have seen every guy I've dated for the past ten years. None of them were I carry a briefcase level of hot. Nick the graffiti artist was hot, Lola said. Nick who gave me a framed picture of himself for Valentine's Day. Oh, right, I forgot about that part. Lola's lips curled in horrified laughter. And then there was rock climber Aaron. Cleo said. Remember how his bed was in the kitchen of that apartment he shared with Jasper? Cleo had dated Jasper on and off in our mid-twenties, and rock climber Aaron had been his roommate for a few months before moving back to Colorado for the ski season. His bed had been so close to the stove that his pillow caught on fire once while he was cooking us Kraft macaroni and cheese. Cute butt, though. He literally told me he didn't want to be exclusive while his penis was still inside me. Definitely not I carry a briefcase hot, Cleo said. I sat up, pushing myself back against the other side of the couch and tucking my knees in toward my chest. I just wish I could say thanks, you know, and get his number, said Lola. I grabbed a pillow and tossed it at her in response. It wasn't his looks that had unraveled me. Something about him seeing me at my most vulnerable and not turning away, but rather stepping in to help, had felt both mortifying and thrilling all at once. For better or worse, he had seen the real me, and there was something about his expression in that moment that had told me he knew it. And even though the whole world could now view what had happened between us, it had also been something just the two of us shared. Lo, chimed in Cleo, sensing my desire to change the subject. I told Fanny we'd help her come up with a plan for work. The only thing Cleo loved more than making a plan was executing it. Lola's posture straightened, ears perked. She leaned forward in anticipation. My plan is to eat a big-ass bag of salt and vinegar potato chips? and watch every episode of Law & Order for a week. I told them, I'll ride out my severance, apply to as many jobs as possible, and hopefully I'll land something. Or you could use this 15 seconds of fame in your favor, Cleo said matter-of-factly. Yes! Lola clapped her hands together, bouncing in her seat like a toddler, Come on, you've wanted to do your own design work forever. Remember when you got hired at space? You were convinced you'd stay for a year and then bail and go work on your own. Yeah, you stayed for way too long, Cleo blurted. And then, realizing she'd overstepped, she muttered, Sorry, but you know what I mean. It was a good job. I picked at the corner of my sock, where the cotton had rubbed almost bare. I lucked out, and I've only done like five freelance jobs on my own, and they were all amazing, Cleo said confidently. I was at Patrick and James's housewarming party, remember? It was perfection. James literally cried over that French wallpaper you picked out for their bathroom. James was drunk, I reminded her. She ignored me. I'm sure he'd write you an amazing review. Make some referrals. He knows like every rich, artsy downtown person in the city. Branny, Branny, Branny! Lola cheered, shaking her fists in rhythm with her words. I love this for you! Me too, said Cleo, pleased with herself. If we help you find some clients, will you at least think about it? Oh my God, you two are too much. I groaned. Sorry, we can't help that we're your biggest fans, Cleo said, a faux defensive tone to her voice. Yeah, it's too late because I already made Franny's fucking awesome.com and our fan club has like a billion members, added Lola with extra sass. Who, you two and my mom? Yeah, Cleo quipped, and hot suit. Oh my god, hot suit. He's probably somewhere living his best life in his townhouse on the Upper East Side, eating caviar with his equally hot model wife and their 15 perfect golden retrievers. Cleo added, chuckling, and his butler, which he spells with two T's. Lola paused for comedic effect, arms outstretched. Get it? Oh my God, Lola. I buried my face in my hands, half cringing, half laughing. You literally have the same sense of humor as Jim. My stepdad was stoic, but he always laughed at dumb jokes, especially when they were slightly dirty. Cleo stood then, stretching her arms overhead. I should get home. I have a conference call at eight tomorrow morning before I go in to teach, and I have to participate in this one, I can't just put myself on mute and fall back asleep. It was after nine, which ten years ago would have been right when we were heading out to a bar. But tonight, work called. Responsibilities hovered in the back of our brains. Except for me, I thought. Excited by the one upside to this whole shitty day, I'd get to sleep in tomorrow. I'll go with you, Lola said, yawning as she rose. Me too, I chimed in quickly, and they both turned to look at me. I shrugged. I just need to get some fresh air. After a round of bathroom breaks, we tumbled out of my apartment into the small foyer and then out onto the street. Every block in my Brooklyn Heights neighborhood was lined with giant trees sprouting bright green leaves. Set against the brick townhouses and the cobblestone streets, they almost sparkled with color. The subway station was just a few blocks away, and as we walked, we chatted about the rest of our week, the possibility of getting together over the weekend, and Lola's coworker, who had just adopted a tortoise of all things. I headed back home after hugging them goodbye and forced myself to not look at my phone for the duration of the walk. For the first few steps, it felt impossible. But then, I noticed my breathing slowed, my chest unclenched, The muscles down my back relaxed just a bit. I let my focus fall elsewhere. The places where tree roots had cracked the sidewalks. The ancient gas lamps that still flickered outside some of the austere homes in the neighborhood. The daffodils that suddenly seemed to be everywhere. For the first time today, I felt good. Normal. I was going to be okay. A few steps from my front door, I reached for my phone out of habit, without thinking. There were alerts everywhere. In my texts, messages from reporters at the Daily News and NYN. In my email, messages from a producer from CNN and from some German newspaper, the name of which I couldn't quite understand, and a message from Lola, no surprise, the British tabloids love you, with a link to the Daily Mail. Holy crap, I said out loud to myself as I stood there gawking at my phone. The world's worst meat cute had been turned into an adorable romantic comedy that everyone was talking about. Starring me.